All right. Can we thank uh, Dave, Pastor Dave? Pastor Dave. Now I got I got to admit, um, Pastor Dave flows. Pastor Mott, I got to get used to that a little bit. Pastor Mott, not sure. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. We uh, started a series last week. We're continuing on family matters. And again, that's kind of a double entendre of family matters as far as it's important. And we're going to talk about family matters, the details, the specifics about family also. So last week we talked about marriage. Uh, if you weren't here and you're married, you may, you may be fortunate you weren't here. Then we started a few conversations. <laughs> Trying to bring health to marriages, health to marriages. And what we're going to do in this series, we're going to weave in and out from our earthly families to our spiritual family, the church. And um, so, we, again, we spent last week on husbands and wives, and today we're going to talk about the church, kind of a brief overview of what is the church. Now, if I ask the question to you today, uh, or to this crowd, what is the church, I'm sure we'd have several answers all of which are probably going to be correct or close to correct. So I'm going to kind of walk through at least kind of a, a just a brief kind of introductory um, idea of what the scriptures say is the church to make sure uh, we understand why we're we here today. <clears throat> why are the doors open? Why are you sitting down? <clears throat> why do we invite others? What are we here? <laughs> right. What, what is the church? So if, if you look at that word alone, how it's used in the New Testament, the church is simply this. At, at its core, it's a gathering of those who are called by God. A gathering. <clears throat> those who are called by God come together to do something that God's asked us to do. To become people who God's asked us to to become, to be a witness in our communities that God's asked us to be. But it's a gathering. It's people coming together. This is one reason the COVID years were so difficult. They felt so uncomfortable. Because we weren't gathering together. And when there's no gathering... Uh, we're, we're not functioning the way God designed the church to function. So maybe for one or two of you in the room, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna dispel your philosophy <clears throat> here. But but there, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. <clears throat> you may tell yourself you, you and God are good. I love God. I don't. I'm not into the church thing. <clears throat> not in here. <laughs> it's not in here. Right? So there, there is something about gathering together. There's something about gathering together that God blesses. Now, I, I'm no different than most of you. Uh, you know, what's the phrase? Uh, this church thing would be great if it wasn't for the people. <clears throat> so we're talking about a spiritual family, and every family has its issues, except yours. Uh, you know, in, in families, we, we, we put the fun in dysfunction, right? <clears throat> Come on. 
put the fun in dysfunction. So here, here's a phrase. I mean, every New Testament use, a usage, while the, the word for church, ecclesia, ecclesia, can be more than a gathering, it never means something unrelated to a gathering. It can be more than that, but never not a gathering. It always has an implication of at least two or more coming together intentionally for the Lord. So, here's what I like to say. Uh, a softball game could be the church coming together, or it could just be a softball game. <clears throat> yeah. So, there's got to be intentionality to the gathering. Here's a phrase I've said for years. I get some pushback on this, but I believe I'm, I'm, I'm correct theologically. And I believe this to be true. There's no Christianity without community. There is no Christianity without community. Without a gathering in some setting, somewhere, at least once a week is the, is the, the habit, even though the church met daily. But at least once a week of a gathering, there really is no Christianity without that type of intentional community. Hebrews 10 puts it this way. And let us consider how we may spur one another or motivate each other toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's one thing I've discovered. I can't encourage somebody I don't, I'm not familiar with. I can't encourage somebody if I don't know where they are in life, what their needs are. I can't pray for somebody unless I know them. And in the church, we are to be people who are known and we know others. We're known and we know others. Now, here's a word that I'm going to lose all the guys in the room. But the idea is intimacy in relationships. <clears throat> guys, I'll get you back here in a few minutes. Just, I know you're, <clears throat> every pore in your body just opened up. <clears throat> just calm down. You'll, you'll, you'll come back here in a second. But it's this idea of knowing others and being known by others. If you are not in those type of relationships on some level, somewhere, on a regular basis, you are not experiencing church. That's why one reason small groups are so powerful. Sharon and I have been in small groups since the early 90s. And we've been very intentional with that. And we're going to do it again here at some point. But in a small group where you're meeting regularly, you're, 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 you know, in a small group, here in church, when people say, how you doing? We go, oh, we're doing great. Great. How are you? Man, in, in our small group, people are going, how you doing, Pastor Chris or Chris? And uh, no matter what I say, they, look right, they, they can look right through my soul because they know me. We had this one lady who always asked, how are you doing this week? And I'd tell her, she goes, how are you really doing? <laughs> so that, that's what God envisions for us. In Acts chapter 2, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, which was common for the Jews, and then the Christian church took on that tradition. That's where they got a lot of their teaching, their gathering, what we'd call koinonia or fellowship. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So there were temple courts and homes. Um, some people would say the gathering on Sundays and homes. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor 
of all the people. The church has always had a, 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 a two-edged sword relationship with culture. That's amazing. On the one hand, there's been a lot of pushback with culture towards the teachings of the scriptures in the church. And yet on the other hand, because of God, he gives the church favor and Christians favor, even in that culture. Have you ever, have you experienced both those? There's times where there's tremendous pushback, right? And, and you know what persecution is in America, right? As Christians, we don't get invited to the Christmas party. That's our, <clears throat> none of us have lost our heads yet, you know. I mean, jail's coming. It's probably coming at some point for some of us. Typically me, the leader. <clears throat> you guys just come visit. Uh, but, you know, first, but it's, it's a weird dichotomy in the church. But on the one hand, there's pushback with the culture. Because the kingdom of God is counterculture to the world, the spirit of the world. But yet, on the other hand, God gives us favor to advance and to move forward. To, for the kingdom of God to expand through your life and through mine, and to us collectively. The church is a powerful idea that God has here in his world. Now, what the church is not, let me say a couple things what the church is not. You already know this to be true. The church is not a building, right? You guys know that. Even though we say things like we're going to church, hopefully we mean we're going to the gathering of the saints, the believers. And by the way, the Bible says you are a saint. You're a holy one set apart by God. I know that we have a hard time grasping that, accepting that, but it's true. You've been set apart for the purpose of God. But the church is not a building. The church is not an institution. The moment you try to organize and control the church, what does God do? He just takes a left turn or a right turn. <laughs> He'll remind us that we're not in control. He's in control of the church. And the church is not an event that we go to. Now, now, none, none of you do this, but I've heard this is true at times. Some people go to church like they go to the movies. You, you, you get there just in time to get to get the seat you want to get, <clears throat> right? And, and then and you're hoping it's a good movie, right? And uh, <clears throat> and then once it's over, you say, "Well, what, what, how, how is that for you? How's that experience for you? Oh, the music is all right. The message is okay. It was not bad, you know." Let's go to church. Like, come on, am I talking to anybody here? <clears throat> church is not, it's not an event. It's a gathering of the saints to be in community, to be in community. So here's a few things, again, introductory, we know about the church. Number one, the church is a gathering of people who believe Jesus is Lord and Messiah. The church is primary for believers. It's primarily for believers. Now, we know that there are going to be people who are not uh, not declared Jesus Lord yet that come in, in the church, which is great. Everyone's welcome to be here, right? But the church is for believers. Now, I'll just let you know something. Uh, when I communicate, what I try to do is communicate in a way that teaches, motivates, challenges Christ followers to live like Christ followers. But I'm also aware there may be people who are not yet Christ followers who gather with us. And so what I try to do is uh, make sure that those who are not yet Christ followers, they're, they're, they're pre-Christians by faith, by faith, that they're, they're, they're brought into the story of Christ. And the illustration I like to give is this. If our family's having dinner together 
and we just start talking about a vacation we took. We don't need to explain it to one another. We just start reveling and having fun reliving the story, right? Like what Christians do with the Scriptures. Now, if we had two guests at that dinner table and we were talking about our vacation, what would we need to do to be, you know, good hosts? We'd have to bring them into the story. And so that's what we'll do here. We'll be primarily talking to Christ followers. We want to bring those who are, who are curious, who are searching for something, into the story. Kind of update them in the story. But those who are, the church is for those who believe Jesus is Lord and the Messiah or the Christ. In the very first sermon preached uh, that started the church when the church launched, in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching the good news. He says these words in Acts 2, 36 through 40. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ or Messiah. And so this is the one they called on at the end of the story here in chapter 2. Lord and Messiah. Jesus is Lord. Do you believe that today? Here's what that means. I love your enthusiasm. It's great. But here's what it means. <laughs> Jesus gets the last word in your life. The last word. You can debate him. You can argue with him. You can use your logic, your reasoning, your emotion, all you want when you talk to God. Folks, I got I to be honest with you. There's scriptures here I don't like. I'm still responsible to submit myself to them. I'm still responsible to do so and to share them and to speak the truth of God's word. So Jesus is Lord. goes on in verse 41 there, Acts uh, 2. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized, they were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. So he preached the good news that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Messiah, and his baptism, which really is an, a, a welcoming into the church, the baptism is. All your old ways of living are now behind you. All your old allegiances are now behind you. And now Christ is your one allegiance. Jesus is Lord. Jesus gets the last word in my life. Let me throw this out while we're talking about baptism. If you have not yet been baptized, we would love to baptize you here at Christian Life Center. Love to do it. Love to do it. Baptisms are my highlight of every year, my entire ministry. Because it's the moment where someone says, I am following Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And I'm going public with it. Have you ever been an undercover agent for Jesus? He does not need you to be Mission Impossible, okay? There are no undercover agents for Jesus, right? But when you go baptized, you're going public with your faith. So again, if you have not yet been baptized, I'm hoping in August we can have a baptism here, and uh, we want we want to, we want to take care of that. Now you got to re- know this: in the early church, when you believed, you were baptized right away. I don't know what has happened in the modern church. <laughs> you can be a Christ follower for a year, for ten years, for twenty years, for forty years, and not been baptized. That would be a foreign thought with the first church. 
Number two, uh, the church belongs to Jesus and he will build it. Can we, can we just say this phrase together? The church is his. Let's just say it again, right? One, two, three. The church is his. It's not mine. Not yours. It's his. Now we say things like, it's, I'm going to my church. I just identifying where you're going. I get that. That's cool. But this is his idea. This is his church. In Matthew 16, he says these words. Jesus says these words. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You familiar with that verse? It's a powerful verse. I'm going to explain that verse a little bit here. This is a great verse. But Jesus clearly identifies the church as his, and he is the master builder. He's the master builder. He is the, the architect. He is the engineer. And he is the builder. And he is the sustainer of all that is good, including his church. And by the way, if you're a Christ follower, everything God touches is good. Everything God renews is good. You may not believe this. You may, not, you may be programmed differently. But God wants you to know, if, if he has touched your life, and transform you as a new believer, there is good in you because God is in you doing a work. And he will finish that work. But Jesus said, I, I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, for years, I heard different interpretations on this verse. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share another one with you that maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't. But, the, you know, this is where the Catholics uh, established the idea of the and, of course, uh, in, in uh, non-Catholic uh, Christian churches, we oftentimes say this is, this is the confession of the Christian. Upon our confession, Jesus is going to build his church. Uh, there's another interpretation that literally where they were standing, literally, where they were, that, that land they were on, people in that day and age believed and, and kind of had a, a mythology that that was a location that, that opened up to Hades or hell. You follow me? Right where they were standing. And on that location, that that culture, that community would have understood that saying, that mythology, that this location is where hell or Hades, you can get to it from here. There's an opening to it from here, literally. Jesus said, this rock upon gates of hell, I'm going to build my church and those gates are not going to be able to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. I like that interpretation. That makes sense to me in the context of this scripture. There is an aggressive advancement of God to reach people for him. People say, how, how do I know if Jesus is Lord in my life? Here's the simplest way to say it. Uh, wherever he rules, he reigns. Wherever he rules, he reigns. Does he rule in your heart? That's where his kingdom is going to be. That's where he reigns. His kingdom is wherever he rules and he reigns. Now we know that the whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And ultimately, in spite of the freedom of the enemy right now, to wander around with his little water gun causing havoc everywhere, 
One day God's going to shut it all down and establish this thing the way he wanted to establish it. The earth. It's going to be a new earth, new heaven, and a new earth. So the church belongs to Jesus, and he builds it. Number three, Jesus died for the church. Jesus died for the church. I'm going to go back to a verse we used last week uh, in Ephesians 5. It simply says this. For husbands, this means love your wives. I'll say that again one more time. Guys, aren't you glad I'm bringing this up again? Hang on a second, man. My pores are open. Uh, For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church. Wow, that's a high bar. (sighs) I'm sorry, I'm having a personal moment right now. Jesus Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Christ gave the ultimate sacrifice for the church. And he suffered. He really suffered excruciating pain. One thing the Romans were great at was killing people and having them suffer. They perfected that. And Jesus Experience that. And what's amazing is he experienced it. The Bible says that God sent Jesus into the world at an appointed time, a specific time, an exact time, a planned time, a purposeful time. And part of that design was Christ to suffer through the Romans' ultimate deterrent in the community to deter people from doing wrong, which was crucifixion. He did that for you and for me. The death I deserved... Christ died for me. The death you deserved, Christ died for you. Are you grateful today? Are you grateful today? So Jesus died for the church. I like 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5, and it says these words. Now, brothers, sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance. Everyone say first. We've we, we got to remember why we're here. <laughs> first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to the twelve. Jesus died for the church. Number four. Kind of wind this down here a little bit. The church is a spiritual family I belong to. It's a spiritual family I belong to. I know when I say the word family, all kinds of thoughts go through all kinds of people's minds. Some of you are like happy thoughts. Brian, you got some happy thoughts right now. Got the fam hanging out. Got some nice brother vibes going on there. The fam kind of extension there a little. But other people, you say family, and they're like, I mean, it just brings back. I mean, trauma. But God is a good God. Do you believe that? God is a good father. The goodness of God. The goodness of God. God wants to break through, so we believe that once again. The Bible calls God our father. We see that in Matthew 6, Romans 8, 1 John 3. Jesus is referred to oftentimes as our brother in Hebrews and Romans and in Mark. In Galatians 6.10, it says, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. 
the family of faith. We serve one another. We help one another. We, we pray with one another. We're there for each other. We support one another in the family of faith. I love the description that the Apostle Paul gives in 1 Timothy. Kind of gives a good picture here of family in the church. He says, never speak harshly to an older man. Now, that's a relative. Who's older? Anyone older than you? Okay. Anyone older than you? It's weird. Right now, at my stage of life, I'm calling 30-year-olds kids. And when it comes out of my mouth, it's, it's like, what? 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 Did I just say that? <clears throat> never speak harshly to an older man. But appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother. And treat younger women with all purity. Everyone say all purity. That'll solve a lot of issues in the church. I got a whole sermon in my head that I'm not going to preach right now. All purity as you would your own Sisters, as you would to your own sisters. Family matters. Do you believe that today? Family matters. Your earthly family matters. The church family matters. And I'm so excited to continue this conversation next week as we continue talking about the family. I want to pray for you. And uh, Pastor Dave's going to come up. He has one more song for us as we wrap up our service here. But let me, uh, let me pray for you here. Uh, today. Father God, I am so grateful uh, for everyone here today. God, nobody's here on accident. God, everybody who is here, you wanted here. Father, I pray that your word as it's gone out, it'll be received with open hearts, open minds. God, I pray right now, because I believe this, Father, with all my heart, that right now you've already instructed people and what they need to do, what a next step is. for God, what you're calling them to do to be in right relationship with you. Father, where you, you want them to re, realign themselves with your word. Father, God, you want to, you want, God, I pray give everyone here the freedom to allow you to rearrange the furniture in our life. God, God as we do that, you will bless us. Your favor will be with us. God, we can stand on your word. We can have confidence in you. But God, let your blessing be here at Christian Life Center, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. We stand as we sing our last song together. <clears throat>